You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Chopping It Up. I'm your host, Mike Hanlon, the Senior Restaurant and Food Service Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Today, we're joined by Ray Johnson, founder, president, and CEO of Reese's Restaurant Consulting Company. Thanks for doing this, Ray. Thank you, Michael. I'm so glad to be here. Good stuff, man. I'm glad I got to meet you at the, at the Prosper Conference. Shout out to David Job and the team oh, over yeah. there uh, last August. Um, uh, you were one of the highlights of, of my trip. Well, thank you. I tell you, David and Luke, I, I'm going to shout them out also. Just two great, great people in this industry and have a fire and desire for this great uh, industry of ours. So, yeah, I love meeting you and the team and some of the people we got to meet there in uh, Mill Island. It was awesome. Looking forward to next year. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's uh, let's jump in here, man. Why don't you 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 know you have a great career background. Um, you worked at some fantastic brands over the years. So if you could tell the audience a little bit about your you know career past. All right, Michael. So Reza Dodgers' version of my great career in this great industry. I love this industry, Michael. I I started out uh, way back in the day at a franchisee of a McDonald's, so QSR. And quickly uh, went to a fast casual steakhouse, uh, similar to a Bonanza a Ponderosa, a concept called Rustler Steakhouse that was owned by Marriott Host. Uh, and right away, I thought I was pretty good. I was pretty young. And I wanted to be with the very, very best. And I heard about this concept that was just doing tremendous volume called TGI Fridays. And they were the king of the casual theme restaurant. And I would go in and just study them. And I go, if I'm that good, I want to go work for that brand. And I, I finally got uh, a chance to go work for them, work for them 12 years, learn so much. My mentor was the founder, uh, uh, Dan Scoggins. He really taught me some very tough lessons that was very, very good. And I left there in 1996 as director of operations, as I call it, the area of the Midwest capital of the world, uh, vacation capital of the world, I should say, uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, and, and Oklahoma. So uh, then I stepped out of the restaurant business, Michael, for the first time and only time 
uh, to get into the petroleum C-store business. And I had a great friend of mine, David Dornell, who was a president of Bank of America. It was Nation's Bank at the time. And uh, we bought together, them being our senior lender, me being an entrepreneur, we bought 25 C-stores in a gasoline and marketing distribution company called St. Louis Petroleum and Marketing. And I was the CEO, president and CEO, and it was the greatest lesson I've ever learned about leading people because all I knew, Michael, before getting into this business, that the sign on the street and the price on the sign is what you pay for gasoline, right? And so, but it taught me a lesson that people who work for you have great skills and it really takes great leadership to engage them. Step back, be a servant leader, take the time to learn, uh, get to know your people, and you don't give up power by being a servant leader. And it just helped me a lot. I would literally go in and ask many, many questions as opposed to giving directions. And so I did that for five years as CEO, president, and uh, I missed the restaurant business and uh, I started my own concept called Village Cafes out of St. Louis. And I literally created the concept. I was the CFO, CEO, the operations guy in the whole nine yards. And I like to describe it as a poor man's version of Panera Bread. Uh, we were in office buildings and uh, uh, about 2,000 square feet. It was an awesome, awesome brand created. And um, that was in 2000 to 2008. And then Cracker Barrel came calling. And uh, I kept saying no to them. And eventually they wore me down and I, I sold my restaurant and went to work for Cracker Barrel. And my goal was just to work there for a couple of years and sit back and get back into the entrepreneurial world. And the problem was I kept getting promoted, uh, having success. And uh, I became divisional vice president. And uh, and I left there in May of 2022. And it was after 14 and a half years, it was an awesome, awesome ride. And I started uh, my consulting company, uh, Reese's Leadership Restaurant Consulting, and it's been an awesome, awesome entrepreneur ride. Uh, there's a lot of people in our industry that needed my help while I was working for big brands like uh, Cracker Barrel and was an officer of the company. And I would tell them, I go, I can't do that. It's a conflict of interest. <laughs> so I, I saw the need out there, and it's been awesome to get out and help people uh, run restaurants right now. That's great. Uh, at uh, TGI Fridays, did you have any overlap with Alan Stillman? Absolutely. He was, uh, I didn't know Alan, but I knew of Alan. He mm -hmm. was uh, Dan's partner, right? Founder yeah. and partner. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he started the brand with a, he said a $500 uh, loan from his mom. Yeah. You know, the story, Michael, is that they started the brand um, in uh, New York. Uh, and it wanted to, it was a brand that was started the tales of the story goes as they wanted to have a place for pilots and flight attendants to be able to go as they're laying over in these different cities to go and just have a great time it was an awesome some of the stories dan told was just uh, awesome yeah <laughs> great brand yeah, it's cool. And and uh yeah, I I bet you a lot of Gen Zers didn't didn't realize it started as a singles bar, you know. That's that's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh when you go into I don't think they have them now, but I remember 
one of our template was a three-tier phone booth that and people would say, what's a phone booth? But you would go in yeah. and you would have one level. When you go up on the next level, you can use the other phone on the next level. It was an awesome, yeah. awesome stuff. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Alan's a legend. I got to—I was lucky enough to meet him uh, a few years back, and I met—I met his son Michael as well, who's running um, the family business now. They own um, the Smith and Wilenskis in New York, and, and a whole bunch of—and uh, a great new brand. Well, not really new anymore, but uh, quality right. branded restaurant in, in Manhattan. So next time you're in Manhattan, check out Quality. Meat. Absolutely, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, I'll give a plug. It's the one when I sit back and look over my career, it's the one brand that taught me the most and the most disciplined brand that I've ever worked for, even to this day. Cool. Very cool. Um, all right. So uh, for the audience, the reason why I approached Ray is because he shared this amazingly inspirational story at Prosper. So, you know, are you willing to 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 share that that uh, story with us here for the pod? Absolutely, Michael. So I, sh- I shared this story because it's it's really meant to the for the leaders and people in general who maybe struggle, maybe sometime want to give up, maybe sometimes things are not happening for them as quickly as they would like for them to happen. Maybe they feel they should have gotten promoted or gotten a position that they didn't get and they might give up or get discouraged with the industry. But the Reader's Digest version of the story was, I was this guy with a TGI Friday, unbalanced in my home life, in my work life. I just wanted to grow. I wanted to be successful. And so I'm this young African-American leader working in an area where my staff was probably about 99% uh, not African-American. So, it, and, and so I had to lead this great group of people every single day, every single day. And so I would go into work, I would give it my all. And, and over the years, I got to a level that I was ready to be promoted. And my boss was telling me, you're the next guy up, you're the next guy up. And so that just fed me more. I got more inspired. I, 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 put in the extra work. I went beyond the call of duty. Uh, I had this thing that says excellence is doing more than most people think is required. That was my logo. That was my statement. So I would give the extra effort. And so I wanted to be this district manager. And uh, so I wanted to be the obvious choice. So when it came time, based on my evaluations, based on my results, time to be the guy that's going to get promoted yet. I had this leader who pulled me aside and he said, Hey, listen, we're going to make a decision. And the decision is we're not going to promote you. And I was devastated. And I think I stared at him, Michael, for about 10 seconds before I said a word. And he said, before you do this, I want to tell you something off the record. And I go, okay, I'm listening. And uh, he said to me, you are a great leader, but I'm going to protect you. And I'm not going to give you this position that you've earned. I'm going to wait for something more suitable. And he said, because the position you would have to have, the position that I would promote you to, you'd be leading about 78 to 85% Caucasian employees and leaders. 
And I don't think I'm setting you up for success if I would put you in that position. You would be in an area where uh, no one in the area would look like you and it would be tough. And I didn't know how to respond to that, Michael. I had never had it to hit me in the face like that. But after being um, sitting there for a couple of minutes, I asked to, could I be excused? And I'm going to leave now. I'm going to go home. I got in my car. I was devastated. I drove all the way home, Michael. I don't know why I drove all the way home, but I drove all the way home, got in my driveway, turned around, never got out of my car, went back to the restaurant. I'm having a conversation with myself. And my boss was at the restaurant, and I, I said, I need to talk to you. And I said, I appreciate you telling me the truth. At least you was honest with me. I said, but I don't agree with it. I, I absolutely, I need to make sure you know I don't agree with it. That's number one. Number two, I need to let you know that you have lit something inside of me, fire and desire, that the next time the position comes open of anything that I'm qualified for, it's going to be such an obvious choice promotion for you that you cannot choose me. And the third thing I said to him at the time, and I remember saying this to him, and I said, I am a leader that lead people, and I don't even look in the mirror and see color. I look and I, I treat people for who they are in the behaviors that they exist. I said, I just do not think of it that way, and you need to know that by me. So I'm not saying that to you to go back and have you to change your mind. I just need to make sure you understand how I felt. So I go, I, 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 he, he didn't say a word. I go back. I have to have this conversation with my wife that all the unbalanced hours that I've been working all these years, I mean, these months, I have to go back and say, hey, the reason I wasn't there for our kids and, and this and that, and I told you that I was going to be the next guy up, it didn't happen. And I need to tell you that. That's the bad news. The good news is I'm more inspired and energized to be the obvious choice next. Six months later, Michael, I was promoted to a, um, a district manager. And a year after that, I was promoted to director of operations for TGI Fridays. And it was just a lesson of perseverance. It was a lesson of don't let people tell you who they are, who you are. It's a lesson of it's about treating people with dignity and respect and everybody for the values of who they are. And it helped me for the rest of my restaurant career. Yeah, it's a testament to who you are, man. I'm sorry you had to go through it, but uh, man, it's, it's so moving. And I, I love how that you, you use that to even motivate yourself more, man. Fantastic. Yes. And Mike, as a plug, I use uh, I don't use that story, but I use the that event to speak to uh, college students, especially with HBCU students. I have programs where I help walk them through a runway from a freshman in college through how you can get into our great industry. For example, you might be a shift leader your freshman year in college. The second year, you might be 
shift leader. Again, the third year, you're going to get some more training and some mentorship leadership. And by the time you're ready to graduate, you have a runway or a path that you can understand. If you want to be in this industry, you have some experience how you continue continue to grow in this industry. So it's been awesome for me. That's fantastic. All right. Yeah. we I can talk to you all day about, you know, the history of the restaurant business. I, I, I love it. Um, but I'd like to, to talk a little bit about what's going on now and, and kind of catch your viewpoint on some of the hot topics, you know, um, yes. I guess how, how should some of these restaurant chains solve for the, solve their problems for the long term, right? Like, uh, consumers have options right now. It's not easy out there. Michael, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think the muscle that the restaurant industry had pre pandemic was a good muscle to use. It was the muscle we all knew. No one had experienced, thank God, the pandemic before, right? And and during the pandemic, there was a lot of things that happened that people, nobody knew how to manage against it. You know, off-premise, third-party delivery, restaurants, dining rooms being closed. And then post-pandemic, uh, thinking that we could go back to that type of management or that type of uh, the guest experience, it wasn't there anymore. We didn't have the employees there. It didn't come back. People had transitioned out of the restaurant industry. They had gone over to e-commerce, the Amazons and the Walmarts of the world. And so now you're paying someone $25 an hour. Doesn't mean that you're going to get $25 to productivity. $25 is just to get the person. And so once that, that happened is that the muscle that's needed now in the industry is the muscle of retention of our employees and to create these great experience for our employees to create great experience for the guests because the guests learned something during the pandemic from my point of view that I, I'm forced to make meals that are in ways that I could get pretty close to the restaurant industry. And I, I was forced to do that. So now when I come out and I don't have the hospitality value and I don't have, it's a higher price. It's, it's a, uh, it, it's less selection. It's a service is not there. So now I get to pick and choose where my hundred dollars is spent and I get to evaluate that that's a value that I just spent $100, was it worth your experience? Was it worth off-premise where I had to pay 30% more to get a hamburger where it, it, it wasn't really transportable? It wasn't the quality I expected. And, and I think our guests are so smart that they started after spending, the, they, they started evaluating was that value for what I spent on my family of four worth going back again? Or I, I, I used to go there three times a month. It's not worth it anymore. Now that is one and a half time or it's one time per month. And I think the restaurant muscles now is that how do you leverage the cycle of what's creating a great guest experience that is different from post-pandemic that's different than pre-pandemic? And I think that that's been a challenge for restaurants. Yeah. And last time we spoke, you mentioned, too, how, how you felt that the marketing and operations for a lot of the restaurant chains are going in opposite directions versus pulling in the same direction. Yeah, I, I think that um, everyone 
is is trying to figure it out and i think marketing is running in a lane and and they have trends and they have things they want to do and it, it probably will drive traffic uh the collaboration and alignment has got to be can we sustain traffic are we driving these our great guests into the door and can we sustain them can we give them a great experience is operations all bought in under direction marketing wants to go so I could have a great marketing campaign, but if I can't execute it in the restaurant or it takes too many steps in the restaurant to execute it, then I'm going to get bad service and I'm going to get ba uh, bad guest experience. And it's also going to churn the employees because the employees are not going to work in a stressful environment. I got options now, right? And so my biggest thing that I talk about to leaders now is that the collaboration from the beginning. Uh, the, 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 the agreement, the alignment from the beginning, and w what's the why? why is the, what's the strategy? Is operations all in on the direction that we're going? And the last part I'll say is that I think operations spends a lot of time uh, taking directions of this is the way we're going for market. By the time it gets to operations, it's pretty much baked into the directions and strategy. Yeah, for sure. Operations are, I mean, they're so key and I feel like they're, they're still like um, undervalued, right? But when I see a new, you know, a company name, a new CEO and they bring in an operator, I, I get excited about that. Yes. You know? I, I tell people it's the motor of the car, Michael. I could live with my windows not working, my radio not playing, but I could still drive my car. And um, I, I think operations is is such a vital if not the most urgent part because i could have the greatest plan in the world but if i can't execute it in the four walls of the restaurant it's not going to work so i i tell uh, a lot of clients that really we have to make sure that if we're going to put something into the building that it is going to be executable, not only in, in terms of driving sales, but can I really make it into a great experience in a restaurant? And, and, and so it might be that I have 30 items on my menu, but maybe only 10 of them are selling in my P-Mix at about 75 to 80%. I might be selling the other five at a 3% clip. So, but I have to prepare as an operator to be able to sell that for the one or two guests that might come in and get. And that's where I think marketing and operators have to get together in a lie to say, okay, this is great to have. Is it really providing value? Am I losing execute? Is it ease of execution? And that's the conversation I think needs to be had more now today. It's more urgent today than it was in the past. Yeah, we saw an example of this not working, I guess it was a couple of years ago with the Burger King, Chicken fried chicken sandwich. It was that's a right. great sandwich. It was probably better than all the other burgers, Burger QSR chains made, but uh, you know, trying to make a, a sandwich that was very labor intensive in a restaurant that frankly, you know, was understaffed or very lightly staffed, uh, became completely untenable. And I think it was taken off the menu maybe six months after it debuted. Yes, yes. And it's even more important now because productivity levels have gone down. Wages have gone up. 
so I don't get the same type of grill cook or the same type of prep cook for $25 an hour, but my expectations are this. So I can't have seven steps to produce a, a menu, a plate presentation that is, is, is too complicated uh, and volume-wise to be able to execute it in the kitchen. So this is where I think from the beginning, when the strategy is being put together as a brand, I think everybody should come together collaborative and, and, and talk about it and put the plan, the strategy together from the beginning. And I think that that's the one piece that's different, Michael, that in post uh, pre-pandemic, it, 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 you, you could get away with it. Today, it's tough to get away with it. Yeah. And the you know impact of increased delivery and catering has really uh, pressured uh, operations, correct? Yes, um, I, I also the, the the velocity of third party off premise is, is is coming at you in a way that that was probably your weakest muscle because you know it's the demand has gone up, but the you know the muscle that you had in the facilities that you built wasn't built for that type of volume. So now you're trying to execute that, and you're trying to execute the dining room, and you're trying to execute it maybe with less skill employees or the training hasn't been there and it gets into a whirlwind and all of that comes in and takes away of eroding the, the guest experience. Now I got a decision to make. I was in your brand, I had dinner, you charged me more, 20 to 25% more and my experience was less. And as I'm driving home, I get to evaluate that. You know what, I can't create the the experience at 100%, but I could do it at my home at about 75% and save myself a lot of money. Yeah. So I'm choosing not to go back in on that third visit. And I think that's a big miss in our industry. And, and, and I think that that's where we need to focus on alignment, ease of execution. What's really going to drive traffic? Can I sustain it? Is it ease of execution for my employees? Is it creating churn in the restaurants? Uh, and I, I think you, uh, you know, and I know you've said to me that you think a big, um, a big unlock for that is really the retention of people. I, I think it's, Michael, it is the number one thing that operators are struggling with. So the way I would ask a question when I go into restaurants if I would ask two questions, I would get two answers. One, I would say, hey, tell me what you're doing to grow sales and how you're growing your business. Whether it's right or wrong, Michael, I would get some answers, right? The second question is, hey, tell me what you're doing that I can touch and feel to for your employees and to retain your employees. And I would get the stare. I would get the repeated of the question, repeat of the question, but it's, it's, it, it, or I would get the, the stock answers. But when you go and talk to employees and say, do you feel you're a part of this restaurant? And they go, no, I work for this restaurant. And so I would make statements like, why don't you put up a sign to say, what can we do for our restaurant? The key words being we and our it's not my restaurant, it's our restaurant. And what can we do together to improve it? And I think that that's a retention miss 
that's in the brands now that we don't spend a lot of time. And I think we spend a lot of time of getting employees, Michael. I don't think we spend a lot of time of keeping and growing employees, making it the obvious place to work. If I'm going to work in a QSR field, I'm going to work in a fast casual I want to be the obvious place to work. I want to create an environment that people say, I want to work in this business and I want to work for you. And I think those behaviors and those tactics and actions from leaders in, in operations are missed right now. All right, Greg. Um, you know, how much of a role can you know menu reduction play in this too? I think that without eroding your brand and who you are, if you are a a brand, you have to carry the type of items you need to carry. I don't think you need to try to be everything to everybody. I don't think our guests are asking us to be that. I believe that ease of execution and menus and, and finding out what is selling and what you need to have to have your brand be sustainable and, and desirable is what you need to do. Now, there's some things you're going to carry that you're not going to sell 100% of. But you need to have some of those. But I don't think that you need to carry everything you maybe cared before because it's going to create a lot of extra work that right now is not ease of execution. All right. Good stuff. Um, obviously, costs have been a, a huge topic of discussion <clears throat> for the last couple of years. So, you know, how are chief operating officers uh, driving costs out of the system in 2024? I think cost is, is going to be something that uh, on an ongoing basis that operators and, and, and leadership have got to look at. And, and the balance between that if my costs are going up, I can't take it all in menu price. I, I, I just can't. At some point, you're going to get to a price that you're not your brand anymore. So if you're fast casual, you can't have an $18 plate that now is going to throw you into another category. So I think a lot of what needs, what has to happen falls back on the brand and marketing and the operational leadership. And so what are the brands that creates the value that I could serve fast, that it's not going to be a high price menu item that I could, I, that doesn't affect my brand. And I think that that's the challenge. And then how do you store it? How do you keep it? How do you make it productive? How do you eliminate waste? And I think that all falls into the operational bucket. And it falls into a mastery of operations. I believe if you believe the kitchen is the motor of the car and, and the front is about hospitality, so therefore everything I do in the kitchen, I'm going to make sure that motor is purring. And I think that every day, that's got to be the focus from marketing and operation to lead us lead the branch through. Yeah, that's that's the long term view, right? I mean, just shrinking your portion sizes and raising the prices is is not the long term answer, right? No, I, I think that at some point, I've gone to restaurants recently, Michael, where I walked away and I said, I just spent ninety bucks in this restaurant. And one, it was okay. Two, I'm not really that full. Three, the portion size wasn't where they needed to be. Plate presentation wasn't good. 
Nobody cared about my service. It was the average service. It took a long time. And I think all of that plays into the bucket. And you can tell when restaurants are doing that, Michael, to your point. You can tell when restaurants are spending more time weighing things out than they care about it took 30 minutes to get my food out or it wasn't hot. And I just think that that is the, the you know, where restaurants are not aligned and what's, what's important to our guests. And we see it in the traffic numbers for the last couple of yeah. years. Yes. You know, it's, it's glaring. Yes. And, and I think that uh, the challenge is, and what I'm seeing today, is the number one move brands are using to compensate for a cost either in the labor and in the supply bucket is pricing. And, it, and you just, it can't be your only tool. So in other words, how do you, you ask brands right now, how do you increase productivity? What's the training and develop now, development now that's different from before that could make my job easier that I can become more productive? And I think sometimes brands have cut training to get costs back. I think sometimes training is not as many days or it's not as relentless as it used to be. I think uh, uh, a lot of brands have looked at portions and say, hey, we could get away by cutting uh ounce and a half and keep the price at the same or raise the price. And I think it's a bad, bad cycle to be involved in for, for our guests. Yeah. And as a consumer, I definitely agree. I have a big appetite, Ray. So, you know, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> Absolutely. I, I definitely have left yeah. a few restaurants hungry uh, recently. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. All right. So, so once, once, you know, a client of yours gets their operations nailed, gets the engine of the, of the, um, car really running um, in tip-top shape. How should they approach growth? Well, I think that can I populate it? Uh, you know, do I really feel good about the enterprise? Do, 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 do I really have it nailed down? And so when I go out to populate it, is it simple? Is it a line? And, and, you know, is there clarity about what we're trying to do? And I think it's got to be more than about the numbers or the number of units. Really, it's about how can I make it easier for my franchise? Does the system work? Can it, can the process and system help me with some tweaking of um, I might need to check in with Ray about this, but I don't need Ray to come in and do it. And once it gets out there. Is it broken? If, if everybody is failing at it, there's something wrong with it. And I think that we have to do inside out leadership before we go there. We have to slow down to go fast. We have to make sure that the foundation, as I call it, the enterprise is, is really, really solid. Because Michael is not going to get better by being from going from one unit to 13 units. In other words, the 13 units is not going to be better than the mothership. So I have to really, on a scale of one to 10, I have to have the mothership at 11. So when I go out and I'm doing more units, I really have had have systems and processes that populate and it's ease of execution. It's simple, there's clarity, and there's alignment. Cool. And is there uh, and in that calcul calculus about opening that second, third, up to the 13th store, 
Um, you know, how much should they think about maybe t- talent dilution um, in the present stores? I, I think a couple things. I think that uh, that's got to be the, the the premise of what you're thinking about. So when I say populating, so I'm already populating in my first store for my second and third store, and I'm building inside that first store for my second and third, and I'm constantly populating the second and third for my fourth and fifth. Because the one thing I learned in opening stores in California, Michael. People don't leave Indianapolis to go to California to open restaurants. <laughs> and one of the learning, uh, one of the lessons I learned is that when you're opening brand new stores in California with brand new people who have never heard of the brand before, you learn that population uh, 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 process quickly because you don't have the tenured talent to go in and open a store that, 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 People might have 20 years of experience. It's all new. So the lessons is to get learnings from the first unit for the second and third, not only in people, but in processes and systems. And I think that this is where brands struggle a little bit. I think it's more sometimes about the number of units as as opposed to process and systems and people. And that's got to be, you know, thought about when you do that. For sure. All right. So, uh, you know, since I do cover Cracker Barrel and you've had extensive experience uh, at, at that, you know, great brand, um, you know, if, if you're willing to share your thoughts, uh, I'd appreciate it. Right. Like it's been a it was a couple of tough years. They brought in new senior management. You know, where, where, what do you think about where Cracker Barrel is right now? Wow. Um, let me say. I love this brand. Uh, it, it's an iconic brand. It exceeded my expectations when I was working through the years at Cracker Barrel. The one thing I tell people about Cracker Barrel, there's, if you think about Cracker Barrel and who they are, who's their true competitor in this space? There's not another concept that is three-day part that you can get breakfast all day long, that it's, you know, comfort food and all of that. So with that being said, it's been a tough couple of years for them. And and from the outside looking in and and knowing the brand, I I think it's, it's going to be tough for them to get back to where they were. Um, I believe that, and I'm choosing my words carefully. I believe that there's been a lot of people that have left the brand that created the brand and created what was special about the brand. And that's a lot to lose. And that's a lot to lose. And I also think that it's going to have to have the muscles to evolve from where it was three, four, five years ago to where it is today. And and so it breaks my heart to see the struggle. I I know the stock prices had struggled over the last couple of years. And you're speaking to someone who owns a lot of stock and still do. Um, so I, I hate it. I, I hate with what they're going through. It's it, I, I, I can't honestly, Mike, I can't say I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, 
but I do wish them well. I have a lot of friends still there. I, I, I just know what they're going through and it's going to be a challenge for them. Yeah. Well, hopefully they can, you know, succeed in bringing in a, a younger customer base. I know that's been um, something that they've been focused on. And I guess that's also part of the reason why they, they, you know, got into the, the fast casual breakfast biscuit business with Maple Street Biscuit Company. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that um, <clears throat> the frequency program that they just launched. I, I think it's very good, but that's not new, right? You know, everybody's doing frequency, so you know, join the party there. I also think that Maple Street is 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 going to. It's still new enough. Uh, a very good friend of mine is the the founder of Maple Street. Uh, we we talk a lot, and and I think that that's going to be a challenge for them because uh, he's no longer with the brand also. So I just think that it overall as a brand, it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to really take some tough muscles to move the brand in the direction that they want to go. And as far as the, the, the tenured base customer, we knew this several years ago that uh, we were going to have to evolve in a <clears throat> A, a different customer, a, a younger base customer, and um, I think we, I think they're trying to do that. It just hasn't attached. And the one might question: Did we start too late to to try to? Uh, did we did we not uh, be aggressive enough over the last several years to to do that? So uh, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, and maybe they, they need to find uh, maybe they can find you know the the guy or girl that runs like the Slim Jim or the Radio Shack Twitter account. Somebody that that uh, has absolutely helped some of these uh, brands blow up on social media. Maybe maybe that's yeah. part of the answer in terms of of attracting uh, you know Gen Z through TikTok and, and uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, I'm sorry Instagram stuff like that. You know. Yeah, it's interesting, Michael, that I I have a 23 year old daughter that's a, uh, you know, she's getting her master's, and I talked to her a lot, and she used to work at Cracker Barrel, and and so even while she was working there, if I really want to know the truth that was going on in the restaurant, I would ask her, and she didn't know she was telling me things that I did not want to hear, so I had to <laughs> pretend like I really want to hear. Did you really get the truth? And, and and what you just said is exactly right. It is so it's not her obvious choice place to go when she's thinking about going out to dinner. It's not her place obvious choice place to go when she's thinking about going out for breakfast. And when I asked her why, some of the things that we talked about, those are actually they're validated that those are the reasons why. It's just not on my radar, Dad. It's not a place that I feel welcomes me. It's not a place that I feel that uh, I I I want to be it it doesn't it doesn't draw me in, and and I think that that's going to be a challenge for them to figure out. I, I I love the brand still. I still have stock in the brand. Wish them nothing but the best. But it's been disappointing and 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 heartbreaking to see the struggles that they've gone through over the last uh, couple of years. Yeah, I think I think uh, yeah you know, I I'm hopeful that the new management team can can uh, turn things around because it is a great brand. I know a lot of people have 
very you know, strong feelings towards the brand. Um, yeah. You know, so, so yeah, you know, ho- hopefully things, things turn around there, you know, as a financial guy, I always liked the fact that, that they never closed the store and that, uh, and that, um, their maintenance capex was so much lower than everybody else because, you know, it was part of the vibe, part of the, being an old country store. Right. So there's, there's definitely some, uh, really, you know, interesting, attractive aspects to, to the story. So. So yeah. I'll be, I'll be waiting. I'll be watching closely for sure. I'll be, I'll be there. I'm here watching pretty closely, paying close attention. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wish him nothing but the best going forward. Same. All right. Thanks again, Ray. Um, that was awesome, Michael, man. Thank you. What's uh what's the best way for members of the audience to get in touch with you? Well, absolutely. Um, you are, I am available. I will give you my business number. Uh, I'm at 618-304-3202. I love this business. If I could help any brands, my um, email account is Reese's, R-E-C-E-E-S-L-L-C at gmail.com. Please reach out to me and you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. I appreciate you, Michael. I appreciate you too. And uh, I also appreciate the audience for listening in. Uh, If you like the episode, please leave us a review. Uh, Check back in a couple weeks for a discussion with Charlie Morrison, CEO of Salad & Go. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.